Hello, I'm Bill Peschel, and this is Mechanicsburg Mystery Presents, A Conversation with Gigi Ponderin. Gigi is a USA Today bestselling and award-winning mystery writer. She has published six books in the Treasure Hunt series featuring historian and adventurer Jaya Jones, six books in the Accidental Alchemist series featuring Zoe Faust of Portland, Oregon. But today we're going to talk about the debut novel in her Hidden Staircase series featuring magician Tempest Raj. Gigi describes her novels as fun adventures with twisty puzzle plots and a dash of romance, but without the graphic violence. Gigi, welcome to the show. Thank you for so much for having me today. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, we want to get into your background a little bit because uh, it so much informs your Tempest Raj book that it, it's it's worth going into because you you describe you described yourself as a child of cultural anthropologists from New Mexico and the southern tip of India. What was it like? You, you what was it like as a child? Um, so it's one of those things that when you're a kid, you never know what's normal for you versus anyone else. Um, but so both of my parents uh, were academics before retiring. And so they both had teaching jobs where I grew up in Southern California, but on um, different academic breaks, we were always traveling as a family, either to visit family or on their different academic research trips. Um, and so starting from a young age, I was used to traveling all over the United States and and all over the world with them. And as an only child, I would often be left to my own devices. Sometimes there would be other kids, sometimes there wouldn't be. Uh, and so this was growing up in the 80s. I had so much freedom to just go off and explore like all of these places that I was. And so I, and you know, so I was started making up stories like adventure mystery stories from a young age because I had to entertain myself when I was, you know, uh, in, you know, some ruins in the Highlands of Scotland without other kids to play with my, while my mom was off, you know, doing some research in a cemetery over in one place and I'd be entertaining myself. Uh, but it was lots of fun, but I, I didn't know, I didn't think of it as something that other people weren't doing. It was just, that was um, what we were doing. So what places did you go to as a child? Um, so my mom uh, has written lots of books on that her specialty was Scottish crofters that she wrote this one textbook on them. So the Scotland was the place that I went to when I was a youngest um, with her. Uh, spending the whole summer there with her. And so it was the perfect age when I was 10 to really just get to explore there. And from there, um, going all around India and other places in Europe, plus different academic appointments across the United States, lots of road trips there. Um, yeah. But you seem, it sounds like you also stayed in one place. You had a place you called home. Is, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So you weren't quite living the life like an army brat where you're going from base no. to base. So you did have that security, which is a big part about the um, um, your underlock and skeleton key book, because Tempest is also trying to find a home for herself. Um, what kind of books were you reading as a child? Um, so there was there was so many books in my house. Uh, it, as a kid, uh, because as academics, there were so many nonfiction books. My dad was really into nonfiction. And my mom is a poet in addition to being an academic. And so our shelves were filled with 
classic mysteries, science fiction, poetry, all sorts of things, but it was always the mysteries that I was drawn to. And so of course there was the kids books. I was hugely into Scooby-Doo, not just the TV show, but I also had Scooby-Doo mystery books. Um, and the three investigators were a favorite of mine in addition to like Nancy Drew and Trixie Belden, but really the three investigators were, um, yeah, were some of my favorites and Encyclopedia Brown. So those were the ones when I was really young. And then as I got a little bit older, the three authors that um, I was reading while still a kid at home were um, Elizabeth Peters. Her, not yes, a huge, huge fan of Elizabeth Peters. And I think that that's the author that I most frequently compared to in my own writing, which is always such an honor if people think of me in the same breath as Elizabeth Peters. So Elizabeth Peters, Aaron Elkins, his Gideon Oliver skeleton detective mysteries. I was a huge fan of those. Um, and then I also discovered John Dixon Carr and classic mysteries um, like Agatha Christie and Clayton Rawson, but it was really John Dixon Carr books were my favorites. Um, and so those ones were ones I think that I was reading when I was a young teen teenager after I had graduated from kids books. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I especially loved her Amelia Peabody series. When I was reviewing books in the 90s, those were always a highlight when one of her new books came in. It's like, oh, I get to review it. <laughs> yes. And I was so I'm so thrilled to. So uh, this this summer, my husband and I, uh, we went on a road trip to drive up and visit my parents. And he is much more of a fan of nonfiction than fiction. But so for the long road trip, we listened to an Elizabeth Peters, Amelia Peabody novel on the way there, and then a Vicki Bliss uh, novel of hers on the way back. And so he is now a fan of Elizabeth Peters. So I have made another convert. Finally, I have converted my husband into being an Elizabeth Peters fan after all of these years. So that was quite fun. Yeah. Um, now you live out outside the San Francisco area, as I understand, is that correct? Yep, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. Actually, I would have to suggest if you, and this is why we go into a conversation mode, because your talk about a road trip reminds me, there's a book by Vikram Seath called The Golden Gate. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, I have, but I've not read it. We read it on a road trip, my okay. wife, my okay. wife and I, and it's consistent. It's a tire novel about San Francisco told in sonnet form. And it was just an amazing, amazing reading experience. I'm sorry to go sidetrack away from, oh, from no, mysteries, no, no. but I'm, I'm, I'm writing this down because yeah. I always love book recommendations. That's a very, it's a very yes. unusual book. It's a very unusual experience. Now, did you ever go, when did you decide that you could actually want to start writing instead of sort of writing your own stories or writing professionally? Um, I, I don't know exactly how to answer that, that question because it's kind of, it happened in many stages because I've always written since I was a kid, but it's only relatively recently that I ever thought about it as something that could be an actual career. And so I, I kind of thought because growing up the child of academics, they had so much freedom in, in their lives and in academia um, to be able to go do their own research and to have all of these breaks where we could go travel as a family and, you know, when they were doing their own research um, and, and different academic appointments. And so I kind of fell into thinking that that was my fate to do that. And so I loved writing, but I didn't really think of having a creative pursuit as something I could do as a career. Right. Um, and so I did actually start after, um, after taking a couple years working and traveling after college, I did start a PhD program, but it was not, what the dream academic life, you know, I thought of would be. And it just, there were so many things that I love research, but doing 
original research and how it works in academia, just, it felt stifling to me because I had all of these like little interesting gems that I would find, but then I wanted to go write fiction with these things as opposed to doing the type of research. And um, so it just, I realized that it wasn't the right fit for me. So when I was in my PhD program, I ended up leaving with my master's moving in, I um, packed up everything into my little Volkswagen Golf, moved in with a friend who was um, living in the Bay Area. Um, and so we were roommates and I had no life plan. I was just figuring out what to do. But that summer after I had realized I you know, needed to break out on my own and not just follow the academic path, that was the summer that I started working on my first novel that ended up becoming Artifact. Um, and I ended up uh, getting a part-time job, going to art school part-time. Uh, I met the guy who became my husband that summer too. So like everything, once I realized I really need to do, you know, like have a more creative life, that's when that came together. But I still, I wasn't taking my writing seriously. It was more just that I needed to have that in my life. It wasn't until I um, was awarded the Malice Domestic Grant which fosters the next generation of traditional mystery writers for my work in progress. And so it's for unpublished authors. And I had just discovered National Novel Writing Month and was so excited to have actually finished a draft of my novel that I submitted it to the, the grant that year, not thinking in a million years that I would uh, receive it. But when I won the grant, that's what told me maybe I should actually take my writing more seriously. And that's when I ended up, you know, getting involved with Sisters in Crime and my local writing community. I didn't know any writers until then. Um, and I attended workshops and learned more about the craft of writing to turn what was a novel with good potential into a, an actually good book that other people would want to read. So then it was a few more years after that, that I got my wonderful agent who I'm still with. Um, but yeah, that was the thing that made me, me take it seriously. But then it was another few years again, before it became full on career. Mm -hmm. And what I really appreciate about your career trajectory is just the each of those series that you've done so far, there's something that appeals to me, like the treasure hunt mystery series. It's not something that is, you don't normally see treasure hunts and mysteries. They're usually in the thriller categories. Um, your accidental alchemist series has a gargoyle as a supporting character. Um, there's a lot of magic involved in this as well. Is this something that you've always kind of been interested in or is there, is that a personal uh, of part of your personal belief systems as far as what magic is? So magic in my books is mainly um, stage magic and sleight of hand type of magic. And so even though the accidental alchemist mysteries have paranormal elements with a living gargoyle and a centuries old alchemist, those elements don't actually solve the mystery plots because I very much believe in and love fair play puzzle plot mysteries where it's really um, that you have all of the clues there that you can be following along as a reader. And I love that. But so I mentioned John Dixon Carr a few minutes ago and he and other authors who wrote Locked Room Mysteries and Impossible Crime Stories in the Golden Age of Detective Fiction, there were lots of stage magician characters at that time because stage magicians are the perfect characters to solve seemingly impossible crimes because they create misdirection, which I see as so much of what um, 
puzzle plot mysteries, especially impossible crime mysteries are doing. And so because I loved those classic mysteries and ones that had magician characters like Clayton Rawson's The Great Merlini, um, things like that, that, that's how I actually got into stage magic, not from the stage magic angle, but from the classic mystery angle. And then since then, I went on to get more involved and interested in stage magic. But it was really from those golden age mysteries that, that, um, that sparked my interest. Well, and in your latest book, uh, Under Lock and Skeleton Key, your main character is a magician, uh, the Tempest, Tempest yeah. Raj. And she is as, can you uh, introduce her to our audience? How would you describe her? Yes. So Tempest Raj is a stage illusionist, but when Underlock and Skeleton Key opens, she's actually had a bit of a setback. Her stage show has been sabotaged and closed down. So her career is wrecked and she is moving back home to Hidden Creek, California, which is a fictional small town in the Bay Area nestled in the hills um, of uh, Northern California. And uh, she's working for her um, dad's company, Secret Staircase Construction. So they handle magic from a different point of view. They build magic into people's homes through things like sliding bookcases and secret gardens that you access through grandfather clocks that are more than they seem. So it's a, a construction business that, that specializes in, in that type of adding that type of magic to people's houses. And there's, there's a tree house in the backyard where her grandparents live that has all sorts of magical architectural details. Um, but so Tempest is um, regrouping now that her career has been sabotaged, but the family curse, there's, um, there's this family tradition of the Raj family curse that her um, grandfather, who's from India, is from this family of stage magicians, but he left after a family tragedy. So there's been generations that have had this. And it's um, so it's followed every generation. And Tempest is now wondering if the family curse is actually something real that has followed her home, because even though she was a magician in Las Vegas, here in Hidden Creek on the job site for her um, that she has gone to work on with her dad, her stage double is found in dead inside a wall that has been sealed for nearly a century. So it is an impossible crime. And was it meant to be Tempest or how did her stage double get here in this impossible way? And has the family curse followed her home? What I particularly appreciated about the book was the world building you put into this because you have Tempest and her past, you have her family, uh, Ashok and Moreg. Do I pronounce them correctly? That's her grandparents. Ashok and Moreg, yes. Ashok and Moreg. And of course, her father, Darius and Emma, who's vanished for five years. Mm -hmm. Is there, you want to describe a little bit more about this, this family group that you have, including the employees? <laughs> Yeah, so it's actually interesting. So Under Lock and Skeleton Key is a book that I actually started working on many years ago. And I didn't know how to tell Tempest's story because as you mentioned, there are so many elements that are going on here in this book. There's this family curse that originated in India and then followed the family across when uh, Tempest's grandfather left India for Scotland and then um, and married Tempest's Scottish grandmother. And so there's the family curse there that's followed through the generations across the world. And there's the family business that Tempest mom and dad had started before her uh, mom vanished live on stage. And I originally wrote the book as more of a thriller. 
And in, so my first draft of it, there were different settings and you were inside different characters' heads and so many things were happening over the years and in different countries. And it was a mess. And it was way too much to put into one book. And I am not a thriller writer. And I've never written a thriller before, but there was something about all of the elements in this book that I thought, oh, maybe that's what this is. And so I don't regret the time I spent writing it like this. I actually started working on it um, at a writing retreat with my writers group. And I learned so much about Tempest and the characters and what I wanted to do with them. But I had to set that book aside because it felt like there was too many elements. And how can you get all of these things into one book in a cohesive way? So it was actually at the very start of the pandemic when my, I had book research plans to travel abroad to research a different book, but all of those plans were canceled right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was focused just inwardly writing at home with my family here. And that's when it clicked for me going in the walks, going on walks in the hills outside of my house where there actually is a hidden creek in the hillside above my house that inspired the name Hidden Creek and the Hidden Creek and Underlack and Skeleton Key. Um, that family was really so important and the central binding element. And so Tempest is so close to her family, her dad and her grandparents who live in the little treehouse in-law unit, which is actually much more than a treehouse. It's a proper house. So don't worry about her grandparents. They're fine. Um, but uh, the family unit became the anchoring element of the story. And so that's why I realized that it was more of what I think of as a traditional cozy mystery with that family unit. And it's not a spoiler to say her, these family members, even though they um, might hurt each other inadvertently, that you don't have to worry that Tempest grandfather, grandpa Ash is going to betray her, you know, so there's nothing, you know, you don't have that anxiety of, so, you know, it is cozy in that way that she and her family unit, even though she's the one driving the mystery, that she and her family unit are in this together, solving this baffling mystery. Um, but yeah, the, the realizing that at the, that was a silver lining of the pandemic that I realized it gave me the heart of what the story should be with her and her family. Well, it reminds me, uh, there's an antidote about Gene Wolfe um, talking to Neil Gaiman and Neil was complaining about trying to figure out how to write a, you know, write a novel and that he, and he actually ended up saying, I think I've, I've, I've cracked this. I know how to do this. And Gene looked at him and said, Neil, you never learn how to write a novel. You only learn how to write this novel. And that yes. sounds like your experience there. There was also another subplot in the book uh, involving Tempest and Ivy, her uh, best friend from long ago and, and mm -hmm. ever since estranged. And that plays that kind of plays that plays an interesting role in the story, too. Is was that an inspiration from from any particular source or? Um, I don't know where that came from, except for Tempest is 26 years old when the book opens. And that was not so coincidentally the age that I was when my whole life fell apart. When I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I was miserable in grad school. It was before I, you know, ended up dropping out of grad, the PhD program with just my master's and loading everything into my car. But so for her, it's that same age where it was really her, she had this life shift that she didn't expect coming, but knew she, you know, had to make this change. So I was very much 
remembering and channeling those feelings of that, that huge, that, that turning point in my life. So I was back and had to, you know, figure out the important friends in my life and what I was doing in my life. And so for her, now that she's back home, it was really wonderful to be able to explore that, that um, getting back in touch with her, her dear old friend then. And so I didn't, so that element wasn't, Ivy isn't an exact parallel in my parallel in my own life, but that point in my life that is so vivid in my mind all of these years later is still there. And so that energy, it made its way into their relationship. So, so yeah. I'm glad that that resonated. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you, especially in Tempest's life, because she goes from living in, in her small town with her parents to being on the Las Vegas stage as an entertainer. And that is an entirely different life. And I can see how, especially I can reflect on my life about after college, we have, I have close friends and one goes off to New York and one goes off to Atlanta and we don't keep in as touch as much anymore. And that changes and you have to figure out when you, if you ever get back together, how do you do it? Are you still friends? Are you still interested in the same things? Or is it just, wow, this is somebody I just used to know, I think is a popular song said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, did you have to do any uh, research into magic, into stage magic for this? Um, I do research into everything. I adore research. It's so much fun um, to talk to people, to read books, to go to things. I went to Magic Live, which is the big magician convention, and went to more magic shows and talked to magicians and and read so many books. I mean, I don't know if you can see, actually, I think it's off camera here for folks who are watching uh, the video version of this. But yeah, I have so many books on magic, but also reading impossible crime stories and how, you know, magician characters address things like that. So um, yeah, all of the elements. I love research. If I, I, I actually, I love book deadlines because without book deadlines, I don't think I would ever move from the research stage of a novel to actually writing the novel because the research is so much fun and figuring out the story and then, but at some point it's enough and you have to actually move uh, to writing the novel and all, because all of the research details that you, that you learn don't make their way into a novel, at least not if it's a good novel, because you don't want to get slowed down by that. So figuring out, being immersed in it, but just sprinkling the details throughout and um, using it to create the characters. But so many of the details are not used or maybe they'll be used in a future book, who knows? Yeah, I can see that because it's sort of like, unlike a painting where you can kind of look at it and say, okay, that's, that's done. That looks like a clown's face. With a book, it's really hard to tell, I think, especially when you're immersed in it for as long as you are. Um, yeah. And that's why it's also, I love my uh, critique partners because I don't know, like at, at some point as an author, like I don't know when I've gone too far with the research or, you know, how things are actually working. And I'm so attached to my characters too, that I need to let it go at some point. So I have trusted critique partners who will trade at different stages when we need each other's feedback. And so I rely so much on their opinion of things during um, the process of working on the book and revising. Okay. Uh, I have to ask about something that you put in your biography that you had a phrase here, you call yourself an accidental almost vegan. Can you oh, yes. uh, expound on that for a little bit? I'm interested. Oh, yes. So um, when I was 36, I had an unexpected breast cancer diagnosis, which would led to a whole year of cancer treatments ahead of me. 
And I ended up with some food restrictions because of my cancer markers, but I am, I love food. I love traveling and eating food everywhere. But so I didn't want to give up on eating amazing food. And so I ended up taking cooking classes and learn how to cook from scratch. So I could cut out the things that I didn't want to be eating, but still eat wonderfully. So I eat a mostly uh, plant-based diet and do so much cooking from scratch. Um, but, uh, so that was something that I accidentally fell into. And that is it. One of the things that is also in my accidental alchemist mystery series, because, uh, the gargoyle is a chef and the alchemist eats a plant-based diet. And so the chef had to learn how to cook all of these French delicacies and different things, um, with these limitations. And so it's so much fun for me as I'm taking cooking classes and experimenting in the kitchen to get to play with that with my characters. And I do so much recipe testing because I include recipes in all of my accidental alchemist novels and now in the secret staircase mysteries as well. Uh, cause I love cooking and I don't want any food restrictions to, to limit me. Um, so yeah, so that's something I accidentally fell into, but I'm having so much fun cooking and, um, yeah. And, and, uh, traveling and trying all sorts of different foods as well. Yes. And that, that's true. I was, I'm looking through, I'm looking through the book here and I'm seeing there's recipes for grandpa ashes, Rajalu potatoes and cumin caramelized onions. And as a matter of fact, after this, I'm going to go down to the local Indian store and pick up jaggery powder because I'm a coffee oh. fanatic. And I love the idea of, of trying jaggery coffee Yeah, and, and see how that tastes. Um, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> I probably will. I, it's, it's, I love Indian food in general. So mm -hmm. we, it's, it's, this is just going to be another, uh, another taste, another my, taste my sensation. Editor's, my editor's favorite is the, uh, the cardamom shortbread cookies. So um, that is, that is her recommendation. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, as, as another part of your writing process, I like asking this particular question of writers. Does Tempest talk to you? Do your characters do? or you just have to sit down and, and, you know, make it work. So they don't necessarily talk to me, but they talk to each other. So I, once I start writing dialogue, I just let my characters have the conversation as long as they want to. So I often have to trim back my dialogue because the scene will go on way too much with how much they're talking. But once the characters that are on the page start talking to each other, I just let them keep going for as long as they want to, and I'll edit it later. But I love that I, I really do hear in dialogue when I'm writing dialogue, I hear their voices in my head. And so I am, they're very distinct voices. And so that's one of the things too, that I'm very careful about when I have editors working on my book and editors are wonderful about this too, that you wouldn't change dialogue because it's grammatically incorrect or stilted if that's how a character would talk. Um, and so I do have lots of things in dialogue that are not necessarily correct, but are what, how different characters would be talking, either if it's overly formal or their specific way of doing it. Or I also use lots of um, words that aren't in English, but that are, I just sprinkle that in just enough for, that the character would say, but make sure that it is also understandable within context. Yeah, and that that's exact that's exactly right. The, the, these are characters; they talk in their own way, and you can't apply rules of grammar to it. Just like we can't apply rules to grammar to how we're talking, because yeah. we do not speak in perfect sentences. <laughs> Sometimes we barely speak at all. 
Um, Gigi, I want to thank you very much for talking with us today. How can people reach you to learn more about you and your books? Yes. So um, because as far as I know, I'm the only Gigi Pondian out there. So I have, um, so my website is ggpondian.com and on all social media platforms. If you want to find me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, I'm at Gigi Pondian or at BookBub if you want to keep up with my new releases there. And I have a, I, I'm not always on social media because I'm very good at going down the rabbit hole of research and writing. Um, but the best way to make sure to keep up with me is I have an email newsletter where I include lots of fun stuff, including recipes. So on my website, you can sign up for my email newsletter, has a free uh, novelette and free little recipes download when you sign up. So that's a good way to stay in touch with me as well. I wanted to mention that is the, the novelette that comes comes with it, the library ghost of Tanglewood Inn, which is a Jaya Jones story. Is mm-hmm. that the one, did that win the Agatha? It did, yes. Yes. Okay, because I've I'm I haven't mentioned that, but yeah, you've it's like you've won almost all the awards, Agatha, Anthony, Lefty, Derringer Awards. And I think are you up at uh, BoucherCon? Are you up for an award there? And Edgar? I am, I am. I'm up for an Anthony um at this year's BoucherCon. Oh, that is the well, Anthony. So. Okay. Been yeah. a while. Well, yes. and but that's great. That's great. So you're already a uh, goat as far as uh, the Mystery World <laughs> Awards are concerned. So congratulations. And I Thank also, you. like I say, recommend Under Lock and Skeleton Key by Gigi Mondrian. And I want to thank you for talking with, with us today. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been lovely. Absolutely. And this is Bill Peschel on behalf of Mechanicsburg Mystery Bookshop. And I hope that your favorite book is your next book. Bye-bye.